When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Looking at Lucasfilm, the podcast with a different perspective on the world of Star Wars, Indiana Jones, and all of the other entities that George Lucas, Kathleen Kennedy, Dave Filoni, and John Favreau, as well as the rest of the team at Lucasfilm, have dreamed up over the past 40 years. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co-host, Brian Gahn, and I are recording this week's show on Saturday, February 11, 2022. So we're one day out from uh, Super Bowl Sunday, which... You were mentioning, Brian, you're having friends over to watch the commercials, right? Oh, yeah. My friend, um, he and his son come over and a couple other people, and I, I make, like, really bad uh, appetizers. Mm-hmm. And we're basically in it for the commercials. I mean, last year it was great because of the L.A. Rams, but basically it's the commercials. Now, I know you can see all the commercials on the Internet, except it's so much fun. I don't, I don't watch them on the Internet. I watch them you know, with the group and we can, you know, go back and rewatch it. But yeah, that's what I'm looking forward to. Do you watch it? Do you, do you have it on in the background? I know Nancy will have it on. I typically am faced on a laptop working on another podcast. And have you heard anything about a Dial of Destiny ad airing during this year's Super Bowl? Wouldn't that be? No, I, I haven't, but you would think that they would. I mean, you've got, it's the audience that goes to that movie. So maybe they just want to surprise people. I'm kind of surprised, especially with the news that just broke today about, well, Forbes just published the number, what it supposedly cost to make Indiana Jones 5. And, well, it's not avatar way of water money that supposedly cost 350 to 400 million but it's a weirdly specific number that forbes is citing it's a 294.7 million dollars which and and 39 cents that's what i heard when i see something like that i just and it's so weirdly specific i think somebody's getting fired on monday because you know there's there's only going to be so many people in the building who actually have that spreadsheet with that number. So you're going to be having those folks over for Super Bowl to watch commercials and we'll chat about what actually airs during that show. But speaking of of shows that have aired recently, uh, we've just had three episodes of of them. Yes, of Bad Batch. We had The Tribe, which debuted on that uh, streaming service back on February 1st. And then there was The Clone Conspiracy and Truth and consequences. Uh, those debuted earlier this week on, on February 8th, part of a programming event for Disney+. And this officially puts us halfway through uh, season two of Star Wars Bad Batch with episode nine of the 16th for season two. The Crossing debuting, well, actually the day the show this, this show goes live, February uh, 15th. First of all, did you know they were going to drop two on this week? Because I didn't. It was a surprise. I think we we talked about this in an earlier show, how over the course of the season, there were going to be two programming events. And in fact, it's worth noting okay. that at the tail end 
of season two. They're going to do the same thing. They're going to air two episodes back to back. Okay, I should I should start listening to our show then. Heck, you know. So, uh, so uh, I know uh, what's coming up. There so we I'm go. not too surprised. All right. Anyway, <laughs> we're going to talk about these three most recent Bad Badge episodes. In addition to an interview that Harrison Ford just did with The Hollywood Reporter in regard to his return to the role of Indiana Jones. But first, the news. And as always, the news portion of Looking at Lucasfilm is brought to you by Storybook Destination, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network for a worry-free travel experience every time. Please book online at storybookdestinations.com. All right, Brian, let's start with a story that started out kind of sad and frustrating, but eventually had a happy ending. And so we all know that we lost Peter Mayhew, the the seven-foot, three-inch tall gentleman. Uh, He used to put on that very heavy, full-body fursuit to play Chewbacca. We lost him back on April 2019. 74 years of age and uh, of course it's you know the the Mayhew family still misses Peter but had to be frustrating for the Mayhew family to recently learn that many of Peter's personal effects from the years he spent working on various Star Wars films uh, we're talking what scripts call sheets that sort of stuff things that were used in the, the actual production of these movies were about to come up for auction without the family's consent. You you saw this story, right? Yeah, I did, but I don't know where I w- what I was reading. Mm. How did they get a hold of it? Do you rem- did you did the article say? It's uh Peter's wife Angie who explained the situation that Peter shot these movies back in the the 70s and the early 80s. After he finished working on these films, he would take this material up to the attic of the family house. But as Peter got older, with his seven-foot, three-inch frame, he started to have joint issues. It became difficult to walk. And so going back up into the attic was a no-go. And so after Peter's death, the, the family home gets sold off. And somehow, while they're packing up the place, they don't go up into the attic. They don't find these boxes. Uh. So the new owners uh, come in, they take possession of the, the, the property, they go up into the attic, they find these boxes, and they think they've got, they found a gold mine. So they reach out to Rydale Auctioneers, who then announce that these incredibly rare pieces of Star Wars memorabilia are about to be sold off to the, the highest bidder. And obviously this news upset Angie Mayhew. They hadn't meant to leave those boxes behind, you know, when they cleared out the house. And in an interview she just did with Variety, she wanted to say, it was one of Peter and my greatest regrets that we had to leave those items behind. His knees and joints had gotten to be so painful, he was no longer able to get into the attic to get them. Angie then went on to say, I communicated our desire to the Rydale auction house that Peter's items be returned to the Mayhew family. And to give the folks at Rydale credit, you know, one of these things where they turned around to the the folks who would come forward to them with the material, and it's like, we can't in good conscience put these items up for auction. They were left behind accidentally, and the family has expressed a desire to take possession of them, so that would be the the proper thing to do. So that's evidently where we are right now. I, I don't know when Angie and the family will take possession of it, but I, I, I like that 
this story has a happy ending, you know? Yeah, well, let's hope it doesn't end up in the courts and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Because there are just, I mean, what do people do when it comes to greed? They're just, logic is thrown out the window. No, I get that. I get that. But at the same time, you know, that there are... There are decent people on the planet. And speaking of decent people on the planet, Mark Hamill. What an amazing man that guy is. I don't know if you've heard what Mark has decided to do to help out with the war effort in the Ukraine. Have you seen the story? Or Yeah. Okay. He was, he was signing um, uh, Star Wars stuff to be sold off at auction, something like that. Here's what Mark said to Politico. We decided to sign Star Wars posters a limited amount uh, for real hardcore collectors, especially those that have disposable income, uh, that you can get way more money than you would imagine. But the idea is that these posters that Mark will sign are being used to uh, raise money, which will then be used to help maintain the Ukrainian army's drone supply. And the particulars of this fundraising effort are still being worked out. I don't know at this point if... It's an auction or it's going to be a competition or that sort of thing. Worth noting here that Mark hasn't signed any Star Wars items since 2017. That's when The Last Jedi came out. So this is kind of a rare thing, folks. But this fundraiser will supposedly get underway next week or thereabouts with with an eye toward reminding everyone that the one-year anniversary of the start of the war in the Ukraine is Friday, February 24th. And while we're talking about Friday, February 24th, did you see what Disney has decided to do to help raise awareness that season three of Star Wars, The Mandalorian, which, by the way, debuts on Disney Plus on March 1st, what they're doing to try to help make more people aware of that? Well, is it is something to do with um, like freeform and stuff? Is it, is it something to do with February being sweeps month, right? Well, no, that's it exactly. What what they've decided to do on February twenty fourth to uh, you know <laughs> what I love about this thinking is that you know there are five people left on the planet that they don't know who Grogo is. So what you know, Disney's decided to do is on the night of February twenty fourth. They are going to air the very first episode of the first season of The Mandalorian. But they're going to do it, as you mentioned, as a sweeps programming event. And it will simulcast on ABC, Freeform, and FX. Begins at 8 o'clock East Coast time. So if you've been living under a rock and you have no idea who Baby Yoda is, this is the episode you have to watch. Well, you know the whole thing about sweeps. Mm-hmm. And, and basically how it started, basically it was a, no, a November thing. Mm-hmm. And that was because, and, and did you ever think of, remember network television? How it always started in September and November? Do you know why the television season starts in September? Because that's when the new cars come out. There we go. There we go. Yeah. That's it exactly. Yes. Yeah, so it's like. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. It should start in January. And mm-hmm. it is almost coming to that part where they might start um, changing like the Emmy Awards from January to January. Mm-hmm. But now it's September to September. Yeah. And, and then they always like, they always hold back some shows mm-hmm. and they start them in February mm-hmm. and November so they can get the whole sweeps thing. Just to explain what sweeps are, mm-hmm. it's basically when they measure mm-hmm. each show 
to see how much they can charge for commercials. Yeah. And that's when they usually do their stunt casting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, of course, in May is when they have the finales of each of the shows. Oh, so. true. Oh, true. Uh, also worth noting here that Disney did something similar with Star Wars Andor last year. And, and by the way, same yeah. thing. They did it in November. But that's when they took the first two episodes of that limited series. And on February 14th, they ran on ABC Freeform FX and also Hulu. So I'm, I'm kind of intrigued that this time around Hulu isn't in the mix. Though, if you saw the story the trades were reporting earlier this week, I, I guess Bob Iger is maybe considering selling off Hulu. So sorry, you get no Grogu goodness. You stand in the corner there. Well, if they sell off Hulu then, I mean, where are they going to put the adult stuff? I mean, I know they're kind of sneaking it into to Disney, but there's so all these 20th Century Fox movies mm-hmm. that are R-rated that we have not seen for a long time because they're caught up in this do-we-don't-we thing. There have been discussions of quote-unquote parental controls that would be installed into Disney Plus with the notion that you know, if you wanted to get to the more adult material, you'd have to get plug in some sort of a code or, or that sort of thing. It, it, I'm, right. How many six-year-olds are more computer savvy than their parents are? Well, their parents will never get to see these things while they're watching, you know, Revenge of the Cl- Revenge of the Nerds or something like that. Anyway, speaking of young people, worth noting that. May 4th, as in Star Wars Day, may the force be with you. That's when Star Wars Young Jedi Adventures debuts. And this animated series, which is aimed at the preschool set, debuts on that date on both Disney Junior and Disney Plus. And Brian, you were pointing out in your research for today's show, this is this is actually set during the High Republic time, right? Yeah, this is going to be the first introduction mm-hmm visually not not book form or mm-hmm. whatever of the high republic mm-hmm. even before the acolyte comes out so this is going to be like well it's made for kids so maybe it's like a primer to what you're going to going to expect of knowing what the the high republic is mm-hmm. the design looks nice and cute and and ready but i just i hope the one thing that the best animation writers have ever learned, you don't write down to your audience. Those kids are smarter than any parents. If you write at a level where even the adult will get it, Mm -hmm. the kids will get it. They'll know what's going on. So I'm looking forward to this because it is the first time they're going to introduce the High Republic, Mm -hmm. which it seems like they're going to be putting a lot of money and effort into i think after the acolyte if that hits mm-hmm. i think we're we're gonna we're gonna basically focus on the the high republic for a while it, it certainly will be interesting because again i know that was the plan early on but what with what happened with uh the mandalorian and right you know book of boba fett and the obi-wan limited series people fell in love with these revisiting of you know sort of classic star wars and for me, it's just sort of fascinating to see, you know, the choices that are being made. And, but I, I think, as you mentioned, with, you know, I think a lot really depends on what happens with the Acolyte. If, they, if that does, yeah. in fact, get embraced. And kind of the one-two punch here of, of Young well, Jedi also, Adventures. Yeah, also look like 
what Star Trek did. Mm-hmm. Star Trek's all over the place. Yeah. They're in the they're in the future. Yeah. They're in the past. Mm-hmm. They're in a place, and and it all works. It does. It does. And I think you can you can do that, it, it, especially if you connect the universes. Mm-hmm. Like if in the High Republic, mm-hmm. you've got uh, Yoda, mm-hmm. right? You've got in the the young Jedi, you have Yoda. Mm-hmm. So that's going to connect. That's going to be the connection from the High Republic into where we are now, or you know, the New Hope. Actually, the Empire Strikes Back and you're gonna you're gonna get that connection, mm-hmm. and as long as you have that, I think people are gonna be able to go back and forth. Yeah, you know, and especially if you're gonna start mm-hmm. with the children, you know, get them while they're young. No, 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 you're not wrong. Then, then it's gonna be the High Republic will be their Star Wars. Mm-hmm. I, I I think that's an excellent observation on your part. I mean, the commonality of having Yoda as sort of your touch point and, you know, to get people, you know, oh, I know him. In fact, there's a lot of people who believe that's one of the reasons that the Mandalorian did as well as it did. Right. You know, it's just sort of like, ooh, the the baby Yoda. Yeah, I mean, they're going to go farther back. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's going to be a movie Mm -hmm. about how the the um, the amoeba of the force mm-hmm. came out of the muck <laughs> and then <laughs> turned into you know what we are now wow okay in, in okay. space okay <laughs> is that going back too far i don't know you know th- I, I imagine somebody at lucasfilm right now is like well hang on post it note let me put this uh, force amoeba yeah well okay by the way we were just talking about uh may the 4th on that very same day that Star Wars Young Jedi Adventures drops, we also get uh, Star Wars Visions Volume 2. That collection of nine new shorts, which come from nine different animation studios, including Ardman. There's going to be an Ardman. Do you know if it's clay or or CGI? There's just a part of me that really, really hopes it's Wallace and Gromit, but I, I don't think. Oh, that would be so great. Still looking for that planet made of cheese. Have have the penguin as like a Darth Vader character. Oh, even better. Even better. Okay. <laughs> um, oh, there is an art of Star Wars Visions book that came. Is it just the first season or first is it season. season? First season. Okay. Okay. Uh, came out in November of last year. Oh, okay. All right, and again, from the nice folks at Dark Horse who do such a, a great job with these art of books, originally listed for forty nine ninety nine, it was just over at Amazon eyeballing Which this they thing. Do. They dropped the price to thirty eight ninety nine, so that's twenty two percent off. So, I'm thinking I may spring for for that. That yeah, it's ordered. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Um, well, and, and now, uh, while we're, we're touching on, on stuff that, that Brian is doing in real time, uh, <laughs> worth noting that we, when we get back from this break, uh, Brian's going to talk about not just the last three episodes of Star Wars The Bad Batch, but also there's a Lando Calrissian comic coming, and, uh, but, uh, and, and something that, that Harrison Ford had to share with the class. But first, this... We were just mentioning uh, Dark Horse's Art of Star Wars Vision, which you heard in real time, Brian bought. But we also want to talk about something else interesting that's going on in the Star Wars publishing realm. And, and you came across this Lando Calrissian comic series? Yeah, I think mm-hmm. it's being released mm-hmm. in February, okay. which of course is 
is uh, Black History Month, right? Which I think is is true, and it's going to deal with mm-hmm. the different black mm-hmm. characters from the Star Wars universe. Of course, Landau mm-hmm. being the first and being the most representative, but there's going also they're going to have. Um, an issue on Mace Windu, of course, mm-hmm. who is the, the the coolest badass in the galaxy. Finn, which I hope they do after the last uh, mm-hmm. Skywalker, so we can see his story forward. Which I think he was probably the the most underused character of the third trilogy. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, Jana who is the former First Order Stormtrooper turned Freedom Fighter that we got in the Sky, the, the Rise of Skywalker, which she was a great character, so I'd love to see a continuation of her. And then Grief Karga. Uh, there we go. Our favorite Apollo Creed. There we go. Yep. So mm-hmm. so it, it should be interesting. Um, it, it definitely will be something, if you don't get each issue, mm-hmm. they will probably put them all together. And and I'm pretty sure they're getting the best writers and, and well, artists. Well, toward that end, this is something Marvel's doing for Black History Month. There's going to be 10 variant covers. covers and these yeah. are all going to be painted by uh, Mateus Manahani. I'm, I'm mangling that name, but oh my God, these covers look amazing. He did uh, such a great job with this series of characters so that they're definitely going to be worth seeking out. Now to pivot to talking about Bad Batch, and again, these last three episodes. So let's pick up with the one that dropped on February 1st, Tribe, which when we first saw the character at the heart of this episode teased in the the teaser trailer for season two that right i mean a lot of people kind of lost their minds it's like it's it's a wookie jedi a young wookie jedi well you know we've seen him before right have we really yeah he was in uh season five i think it was mm-hmm. there was a three part episodes mm-hmm. of the, the jedi younglings mm-hmm. and he was one of them oh so he was kind of in the background. I don't know if, you know, he had any, I mean, you know, they talked to him and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. But I, he was mainly in the background. And so when we see him, he's on the run because, and he's trying to get back to his tribe on the Wookiee planet. All right, I'm going to try it one more time. Artist Mateus Manhanini. Mateus Manhanini. Manhanini. Amazing artist. But again, just I'm an old guy. I garble words. Anyway, moving on. Let's talk about Tribe. I loved it. It was great. It was wonderful to see Mm -hmm. a background of the the Wookiees and Mm -hmm. how they are this like native Mm -hmm. indigenous people and how they believe they connect to the the forest mm-hmm. and they become one with the the forest and the creatures of the forest mm-hmm. and also you can't help thinking about the holiday special <laughs> and sometimes that just throws a wet rag right in your face except that now the things they did get from the holiday special the trees mm-hmm. and their houses in the special mm-hmm. they showed them they were like huts mm-hmm. in the trees and the huts here kind of represent it, but they don't have Ikea furniture. Mm, well. They don't have a, a stove range. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no frigid air. 
It's just basically, you know, if you're living in one with the land. And so it was nice to see that. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to think of where this is with Chewbacca, too. So That's a, how is Chewbacca connected to this? Because it's what? It's it's almost 10 years be before he meets up with Solo? To be fair, that does give Ikea time to, to get the branch open. <laughs> and Kashish, That's true. You know, That's true. Because they are taking over the universe. They, they are. I, I have to admit, <laughs> what was kind of interesting was to watch the piece of continuity from this episode where Gungi teaches Omega how... Oh, that was great. You know, the whole notion of we connect with the trees, we connect with the spirit of the trees, that sort of thing. And we we then saw, I, I want to say, was it an, in the clone conspiracy where she was practicing meditation, sort of, you know, what Gungi had taught her on board the ship and it still hadn't mastered it to the level no. that he had, but kind of an interesting thread to sort of continue and to follow. Didn't, didn't Echo tell her that it's it's like trying to be one with the Force mm -hmm. and that you, you just have to, to learn to connect to it? Mm -hmm. Okay. Speaking I of, think. Speaking of connection, what's kind of interesting about the next two episodes of The Bad Batch, The Clone Conspiracy and Truth and Consequences, is they do try to tell a connected story, right? Right. First of all, Clone Conspiracy, mm -hmm. the Bad Batch were not in it. Mm -hmm. It was a complete, it was basically a Clone Wars mm -hmm. um, episode. You had Captain Rex, mm -hmm. you had Rampart, who mm -hmm. you saw blow up, Camellia, mm -hmm. you have, and, and then you even had um, Bail Organa. Mm -hmm. See, I think what Filoni mm -hmm. is doing with this and his group are doing with the Bad Batch mm -hmm. now is they're connecting the pieces they're filling in the holes mm -hmm. they're giving you backstory and they're tying up ends mm -hmm. and this is what the clone conspiracy going into truth and consequences was all about mm -hmm. it was basically who is responsible for the destruction of cameo both Episodes take place on Coruscant, mm -hmm. so the Bad Batch are on Coruscant for the first time, so Omega gets to see Coruscant and gets to see, you know, first she saw the tribe, mm -hmm. and now she's seeing the complete opposite of the tribe. Mm -hmm. So um, she's growing in all the, and you can, you can see the wheels mm -hmm. spinning. If they don't somehow use her as a catalyst to connect things, to maybe heal things, mm -hmm. then they're missing out. But uh, these two episodes... So anyway, the clone conspiracy was basically finding out what happened to on Camino mm -hmm. with Rampart and how he blew it up and things like that. And then they ask for the Bad Batch help and they come in with truth or consequences mm -hmm. and they basically they solve the mystery mm -hmm. and than to realize that they were being set up the whole time. Well, you know, the whole notion that I, I think they talked about how the Emperor, yes, they told the truth, and yes, they got the information out about what actually happened on Camino, but by doing that, they served the Emperor. They pushed forward his agenda. And some of the storytelling here, you really had to have watched for, you know, Clone Wars to get what was going on. Like, for example, I think you picked up 
on the Martez sisters. That was so great when he goes, I've got this place where we can go to. Mm -hmm. They're not, I I know these two people, they're not using it right now. Mm -hmm. And as soon as it went down, I'm going, oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, here, you know, is their little garage in, in the underworld of Coruscant. I was actually proud that I had paid close enough attention to Clone Wars. Like, oh, yeah, I remember that. Okay. The brain cells are working. Likewise, always nice to see Bail Organa, you know, folded into the mix. He's turned into one of the most important characters Mm -hmm. of the Star Wars universe. And in the first movie, we didn't even know. Yeah. Yeah. And, of course, Jimmy Smith's. Mm -hmm. I'll watch Jimmy Smith's in in a phone book commercial. I mean, he is... The most incredible mm-hmm. actor there is, and especially what he does with Bill or- Organa. Mm-hmm. And then also, see, w- there's also all these questions. Well, what happened to the clones? Mm-hmm. Did they sunset out, mm-hmm. or did they were all did they destroyed away? And this, th- like I'm saying, they're they're filling in the pieces. They are. This gives you an answer of mm-hmm. what happened to the clones. And why? Mm-hmm. I still think it's the stupidest thing in the world mm-hmm. to grab people off other planets mm-hmm. because they're not, they can't shoot straight mm-hmm. for the, to begin with. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And, and it's just, it just seems like it was more efficient with the clones, but maybe that's the whole point. I think we've talked earlier about when you and I watch this season of uh, Star Wars The Bad Batch, just the sense of, there are chess pieces being moved around the board. And even what happened in uh, this episode where uh, we had Echo step away from the team because he's going to now... Yeah, that confuses me. Well, again, but if you think of it from a chess point of view, and he did say to Omega, I will see you again. And, you know, so it's like, okay, so at what point in the story do these characters meet up again? I mean, again, that's for me. Well, we do know, we do know that there has been several episodes so far without the Bad Batch. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we do, you know, there was the one with the the assassin, what was his name? Sure, not sure shot, but, but the there was one with yeah. him. Mm-hmm. Right, there was one with him. Uh, now everybody's going to be upset. How come you people can't remember these names? Yeah, we're old. Believe us alone. So you've got, you had that, you had uh, the clone conspiracy. So they will probably have a, you know, have a Rex. We'll probably have, we'll probably know where Cody is. Mm -hmm. I mean, the Bad Batch, like I said, I think it's going to be around for a long time. And if they need to fix things, Mm -hmm. that's what the Bad Batch is going to do. Plus you do have the Bad Batch, which are to me some of the the greatest characters Mm -hmm. that have ever come out of the Star Wars, especially Omega. I, I can never get enough of her. The whole thread that was introduced from the race episode where the underworld figure warned the team of yeah. be careful of Sid. You can't trust her. It's sort of like that was a piece of writing that was underlined, circled, and indented. So it was like, all right, <laughs> you don't drop something like that without there being some sort of payoff. So it's like, and again, we have another eight episodes to go yet, folks. So going to be interesting to see what happens with the, the rest of this season. Now, we were just talking about uh, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny and, and the fact that, you know, this film, according to Forbes, came in just inches shy of costing $300 million to make. So is it any wonder, given that Disney's got that sort of investment in this Indiana Jones 5, that Harrison Ford is already out making the rounds, uh, doing publicity? And uh, mind you, Harrison is also out 
In fact, he sat down with James Hibbard of The Hollywood Reporter. He was there talking up his two TV series, the uh, 1923, which is the spinoff of Yellowstone, and likewise Shrinking, the comedy that Bill Lawrence co-created for Harrison. And Mr. Hibbard, when he was talking with, with Mr. Ford, it's like, what's with the television? You don't do television. And he, he started off by saying, well, there was this thing called COVID where <laughs> none of us work for like two years. And at the same time, I had been patiently sitting there waiting for Indiana Jones 5 to finally get out of the, in the blocks. And so, you know, these two interesting projects came through the door from interesting guys. And I, I said, yes. Hibbard did steer the conversation around to what's going on with Indiana Jones 5. And I think Mr. Ford is 80. And he was talking about Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull and how that film had a lot of Indy is old jokes in it. And the notion this time around, working with James Mangold on Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, it's like, that's low-hanging fruit. That's kind of a cheap shot. But it's a good cheap shot. (laughs) Well, but here's the thing. This is a direct quote from the interview. Right. He says, yeah, in Dial of Destiny, there were a lot of old jokes in the script. We took them all out. Mind you, there's a moment in the movie where Indy, you know, observes himself in a situation and basically says, what the F am I doing here? You know, <laughs> but, but the whole notion is like they wanted to make a really good Indiana Jones movie. And uh, uh, Harrison clarified a couple of points that a lot of people were concerned that Steven Spielberg, who had directed the first four, didn't come back. And Harrison was very clear in speaking with Mr. Hibbard to the effect, well, look, James Mangold, he developed the script. So I knew what we were getting into, but Steven's still in the movie. Uh, in fact, he's oh, always yeah. been in the movie. He's not the director, but he's been intimately involved. It's really funny when you see um, films or making of films and he's the producer mm-hmm. and he's just like us, Jim. Mm-hmm. He loves movies. Mm-hmm. He knows what movies need mm-hmm. and he knows how to fix things. Mm-hmm. So it's always good to have him on, on a film. And I don't think he ruins a film at all. I think he adds all this passion, to, and especially with a character that he developed. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like, like you said, Steven's there. And, and you have to have a director like Mangold to say, okay, Steven, mm-hmm. am I doing it the right way? Speaking of which, Hibbard tries to get dig into Dial of Destiny, tried to get a sense of well, what are we getting into here. So he he asked Ford, what's the tone like? Because each of the films in the series have been slightly different. And mm-hmm. Harrison goes on to say, what I love about this particular movie is that we're meeting Indy at a different point in his life compared to where we've seen him in the other films. It's a logical place for him to be at this stage and influences behavior and, and what he's been spending his time doing prior to the story getting underway. And he, Ford continues that it's a very interesting script that Mr. Mangold came up with. Then Hibbard sort of talks about the thing that a lot of people have brought up that, you know, because of you know, Mr. Ford's age, you know, this will undoubtedly be the last time he plays Indy. So Hibbard is, well, is there anybody else who you think could play this character? And 
Ford goes in an interesting direction with his response. Because remember, you know, that he's been talked previously to, about how Chris Pratt, supposedly, might be the next Indy. And when Harrison gets asked about, well, who do you think, who else could play Indiana Jones? And he goes, Tom Selleck. Tom Selleck. <laughs> Which, of course, if you know the story. He was cast first. He was. He was. Yeah. And CBS would not let him out of Magnum P.I. to go shoot Indy back in 81. And remember, at that time, Harrison was just was famous for the Star Wars films. Mm. He tried to do other movies, yep. like um, that Western with uh, Gene Wilder, mm-hmm. but they, they the Frisco Kid, yeah. but they just didn't hit until you know. And you can you imagine Lucas and Spielberg going, "We we got to get Tom Selleck. He's mm-hmm. he's Indiana," mm-hmm. which he would have been a a great Indiana oh, Jones. Oh, no doubt, no doubt. Yeah, he, they did do that that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, what was it, the High Road to China or something like that? They did, they did. Yes, were an indie esque project. Yeah, but they it was just a cheap ripoff. Mm-hmm. But could you imagine? It's like, well, who are we going to do? He goes, well, what's Harrison doing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's helped us before, you know. You know, maybe we can get him to make a a dinner set or something. Mm -hmm. But um, why don't we just see if he's available? And it changed everybody's life. Though Raiders of the Lost Ark, Stephen and George walked that project around to every studio in town. And but the terms they were asking for, nobody would give it to him except Michael Eisner. In, at Paramount. Yeah, and that was the thing. Michael Eisner was the only guy in town who could look at this and think, the financials on this, if this thing is as big as I think it's going to be, will be fine. But at the same time, he really put the thumbscrews to to Spielberg, who, remember, you know, the, wasn't this the project right after 1941? 1941, yeah, yeah. yeah. And people forget that... Spielberg couldn't get elected dog catcher after uh, that movie because, what was it? He had spent all of Warner Brothers movies' money and Universal's Universal. money making this this big war, you know, war-era comedy that really didn't play in the States, but... It's a mad, 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 mad world. That was his version of a mad, 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 mad world. That's what's fascinating about it. Overseas, because it made Americans look ridiculous, yeah. they loved it. It's still one of my favorite movies. Yeah. I, I love that movie. Mm-hmm. I love seeing the outtakes. Mm-hmm. I wish they would have kept all the stuff with Slim Pickens in it. Oh. And Yoshi, uh, you ain't Mufuni. getting blank out of me. You yeah. know, like, <laughs> yeah. okay. I get a- and Toshu Mufuni was hilarious. Oh, no. Just being the way he was. Yeah. Could you imagine? Oh, man, it was just, it was just one of those things that you just, if it worked, it would be down in history as one of the funniest out there movies ever made but you know it didn't work and no company knew what to do with with um spielberg and and lucas so just to double back on, to 1941 for a moment did you ever do the universal effect show in, in hollywood there was a vignette in the middle of that where the light suddenly came up and it was the oceanfront uh, amusement park yes yeah, and to see I did see it. Yeah, the scale of that thing and how beautiful. I met mm-hmm. several people who worked on that. Did you really? And they got into the union mm-hmm. by making trees. <laughs> yeah, they spent yeah. 
six months mm-hmm. making little pine trees oh. that was used on this mm-hmm. this this thing. And Eddie Deason yeah. and Murray Ed, were Murray just Hamilton. Yes. and Murray Hamilton were just brilliant. And there's a lot more other stuff of them up there. Oh, no doubt. The dummy's right. (laughs) Did you hear what the original casting was for the two people who were supposed to be up in the Ferris wheel? No, but was it Jerry Lewis and Dean Martin? Actually, another team of famous comedians. It was supposed to be Jackie Gleason and Art Carney. Oh, man. Now I didn't know that. Yeah, and every so often... The honeymooners people would come together and do color versions of the show and holiday specials and that sort of thing. But every so often, Jackie and Art would have a falling out and wouldn't talk to one another. And evidently, this was when Spielberg approached them. And also the general, the Robert Stack character in John Wayne. John Wayne. And, and again, well, you, then you know, tell the story about what happened when, when Spielberg gave him the script for 41. He actually liked it. Mm-hmm. He said, it's not bad, but I can never make a movie that makes Americans look like idiots. There we go. There we go. But he didn't unlike, he didn't dislike it, mm-hmm. but he knew that. He couldn't be part of it, which is ironic because in the the movie itself, the general basically says these people are morons. And because of that, it's just those people were morons, not Americans. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And there's a a cute little uh, story that I have. Um, At the Cinerama Dome, they were doing uh, movies that were made for Cinerama. Mm -hmm. And I went to see Mad, Mad, Mad World there. And I'm sitting watching the movie and enjoying the hell out of it. Mm -hmm. And as I'm, and of course, I sit through credits. Okay. And of course, when I'm leaving, this guy comes up to me and he goes, I lost my keys. Mm -hmm. Can you help me find them? And I was helping him. And it was Squiggy of Lenny and Squiggy. Ooh, wow. And they are actually in 1941. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They play um, Mutt and Jeff or whatever. They're on the top of the, the Broadway building. Mm-hmm. And we started talking. Mm-hmm. And I said, I told them, like, I love 1941 because mm-hmm. it's a modern, uh, it's a mad, mad world. Mm-hmm. And he goes, you know, I was in that, right? <laughs> I go, yeah, yeah, I do. I do. Mm-hmm. And he goes, when we were at the premiere... Mm-hmm. We're coming out of the premiere, mm-hmm. and me and and um, McKeon, and as we're walking out, they have sound effects from the movie, mm-hmm. and you hear sound effects of machine gun fire. <laughs> and Michael says to me, he goes, huh, they're the critics right now. <laughs> All right. Uh, by the way, the, 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 we're talking about David Lander. So David Lander, There yeah. we go. There we go. By the way, uh, the, the character that Robert Stack played in the film the role that john wayne turned down that was general joseph stillwell actually based on not not based on that was the real general who was a in right. charge of the uh you know the pacific situation at that point and the pacific theater pacific theater okay now to pivot from one general to another and wrapping up uh, harrison ford's interview with uh, the hollywood reporter he got asked about going over to the mcu to play used to be general thunderbolt ross but evidently we're now about to get president uh thunderbolt ross oh he's going to be president oh i didn't know that i knew he was senator yeah but i didn't think yeah evidently so so harrison ford's going to play the president 
Again. Again. There we go. <laughs> Get on my wow. plane. <laughs> well, no, this is the third time, isn't it? Wasn't he the – didn't he play the president with um, Jack uh, Ryan too? I know that in the the the, uh, the books he was made president. Yeah, I don't. But maybe maybe not in the the. I don't movies think they, they ever Ford. got that far. They, they, okay, I know the Jack Ryan Hunt for Red October eventual story arc there, but anyway, he he got asked about the Marvel movies, you know, about going over to Marvel, and he said, "Well, look." I thought everyone else seems to be having a great time over there. I watch these terrific actors having a good time in Marvel movies, and I'd like to do something different than what I've ever done and pleasing people. So I thought I'd try a piece of that. So Could you imagine him sitting in a theater watching Marvel movies? Seriously, I, I, I highly recommend going to check out this Hollywood Reporter article by James Hibbard because there's a lot of folks who come into this piece, like Helen Mirren, for example, who talk about you got to understand that Harrison isn't like every other actor on the planet. Like, for example, no. how many people set up a production company? And it's just sort of like, no, I don't want to be a producer. More to the point, I don't understand why you need 30 of them today to make a movie. But this is a guy who was a carpenter who sort of backed mm -hmm. into acting. In fact, isn't that the famous story about the Star Wars auditions where Harrison is building bookshelves while all of this stuff is going on and periodically George waves him into the room to read for for Harrison? Uh, well, but remember that Harrison was in American Graffiti. Oh, no, no, totally, totally. But, but so so George knew him and trusted him yeah. to do it. He goes, yeah, let me put this nail in. Yeah, no, okay, no, that's then, it exactly. But it just, I guess, again, what's so delightful about this interview, this is this complete lack of pretense. So it's just sort of like, look, I do what I do. They bring me the scripts. I read them. I show up. Well, even even his use of the F word, which you don't really, mm -hmm. you know, when you're reading it, you're going, oh, yeah. <laughs> it kind of like takes you out. You're going, okay, mm -hmm. he's just like me. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, he's, he's, oh, I once, um, I worked at uh, the Santa Monica airport one time mm -hmm. and they had offices there for yep. a, a company I was working for. Mm -hmm. And we would take our lunch and we would eat in the lobby of the Santa Monica airport, which is this very small private airport. And as we were sitting there, Mr. Harrison Ford, and this was in um, early 2000s, mm -hmm. I don't think Devin was born yet, or maybe he was just born, so 2002, he comes in there and, you know, he's, he's you know, dressed to fly his plane and he goes off and we're like, we're sitting there, we're speechless, we can't say anything. And he would just look at us and he'd give us that, you know, smirk smile. Yep. And then he would he would go outside and you know to get to the airport to get to the tarmac you had to go through like six different doors, yeah that was so that was pretty cool just to to see him you know getting ready to take off. There's a story in this article that talks about Callista Flockhart. Uh, she no longer flies with him when it comes to his antique planes. <laughs> it's like, you, you crashed them once too often. So it's like, look, you know, you, you go off, have a good time. I'm not getting into Could you imagine that? Yeah. He crashes on a golf course. Uh, 
and somebody says, is there a doctor in the house? Mm. And there was. Oh, again, sometimes in, in life, the cliche is true. You know, I the, love the, California. There you go. There we go. All right, folks. We have reached the end of today's show. And the, there's, oh, 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 before we go here, uh, 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 Brian, can you share what you, you, you the, the latest you've heard about the, the Damon Lindelof uh, Star Wars movie? Yeah, it looks like they've pushed it up mm -hmm. to 2025 and they're going to start going into production later on this year. Mm -hmm. And there's a rumor of the actor who's going to be in it. Mm -hmm. His name is Yahya mm -hmm. Abdul-Martin mm -hmm. II. And the name could be a little bit confusing, but you've seen him in a lot of things. You've seen him in... Uh, Watchmen, where he was brilliant, where he worked with Lindoff. You saw him in, uh, he played Morpheus in the latest Matrix movie. Oh. He was Manta in Aquaman, and he's going to be Wonder Man in the DC Universe. They're doing a series for HBO. Hmm. So he is this year's um, hot commodity, mm -hmm. you know, this year's model. So I think it's it's a great um, casting decision mm -hmm. and it looks like uh, the script is basically done and they're going into pre-production. Wow. But I don't know how that's gonna, I mean, wasn't Avatar 3, wasn't that set up for December of 2025? Well, I, I just checked. It's actually December of 24. Oh, so, okay. So there, there is a window open. There you there. go. Now, my next question, is there any mention about where this is going to be shot? No, they didn't say anything at all. My um, guess mm -hmm. is um, it could be shot in the UK. Well, it's interesting you bring that up because this is a story we will try to circle around to on the next Looking at Lucasfilm, folks. But uh, it was a wonderful feature done in the past week to 10 days, which discussed the unlikely hero in Disney's string of hit Star Wars film turned out it was the British taxpayers. Don't tell them. Well, I'm pretty sure after this story, they know that evidently oh, in, man. in order to get those films shot over in the UK, the Brits ponied up a tax break along the lines of 356 million pounds. Wow. Okay, I think everybody in England should get a Baby Yoda for that one. Okay. <laughs> so that brings us to the tail end of this week's Looking at Lucasfilm. Brian, again, and of course, we'll be back in two weeks with a brand new show. But until that time, uh, if folks want to hear more about your thoughts, where can they find you on social media? Well, right now I'm still on Twitter, mm -hmm. and it's uh, Geek with Children, mm -hmm. C H I L D R N. Mm -hmm. um, I don't put a lot up because I'm basically lazy. Mm -hmm. But um, if you ever want to get a hold of me and um, contact me or anything like that, that's where you can can contact me. And where can we find you, Jim? Just like you, I'm still on Twitter. Uh, also over at Instagram as Jim Hill Media. Uh, also over on Facebook as Jim Hill Media News. Oh, but you, you, you've got other podcasts too, don't you? I do, I do. I have the, <laughs> the, the one I do with, with Len Testa, Disney Dish. Uh, likewise, I have Fine Tuning that I do with uh, Drew Taylor. Uh, we also have Marvelous Disney, which I do with Aaron Adams. Tell you what, uh, folks, if you could do Brian and I a favor, if you could head over to Apple Podcasts and rate and recommend the, the show you're listening to right now, Looking at Lucasfilm, 
Uh, likewise, if you really, really, really like what you heard here today, if you want to head over to Bandcamp and subscribe, that'll help pay for uh, a copy of The Art of Star Wars Visions, which again, that Amazon has just reduced in price. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to paging through that out ahead of uh, season two of Visions debuting on Disney Plus May 4th. And okay, that's enough plugs for today. So uh, thanks for listening, folks. And Brian and I will be back soon.